Fieldwork acknowledges the traditional custodians of the lands on which our podcast is produced. We would like to pay respect to their elders, past, present and future, and extend our respect to all First Nations people. With the Stolen Generation, the whole purpose was to breed out Aboriginality. They thought, oh, well, they could be successful in doing that. And it just shows the resilience of us as a people. You're listening to Fieldwork, the podcast on contemporary Australian art. I'm your host, Drew Pettifer, and in Fieldwork, I bring together conversations with artists and experts discussing key themes of contemporary art practice. Today on Fieldwork, we discuss Indigenous trauma with Yuani Scarce. I'm Yuani Scarce. Um, I'm a Gugathara Nukunu woman from South Australia, and I've been currently living on Wurundjeri land for 10 years, and I'm very happy and very pleased to be living in such an amazing city called Melbourne as well. I work primarily in blown glass, so I trained at the University of South Australia and graduated from there in 2005 and, um, yeah, did my honours and revolved around, at that time, uh, research related to family history, which is quite often comes up in my practice anyway. I often say that it goes around in, in circles, so if it's not personal it tends to be the overall effect of colonisation and how it's affected Aboriginal people. Ioani's works are uncompromising in their confrontation of histories of colonisation. They are in equal measure seductive and poetic and sublime. You're also looking at something that is so tragic and all these incredibly, couldn't be more um, uh, uh, cruel and traumatising histories and themes, and yet you're looking at something that is Glittering as well and glistening and changing through the light. So it's this whole contradiction or, uh, yeah, Yeah. this beauty of it. Uh, And I'm Odette Collada and I was born in Melbourne from my parents have different backgrounds. My mum is white and from uh, Anglo-Irish and dad is from Egypt. I work here on uh, land whose sovereignty has never been ceded. And I'm a lecturer at the University of Melbourne. I was a lecturer in Indigenous Studies at the University of Melbourne for six years. uh, And I've recently moved to the Creative Writing Department. Um, But I teach a course and research an area called Racial Literacy, which looks at um, education around race, racism and uh, whiteness and white privilege. I say this quite openly. Uh, you know, Australia is racist and it's not just racist towards Aboriginal people, the First Peoples, it goes around. Like I'm in my mid-40s and I've witnessed this my whole life and, you know, I moved, like I grew up in Alice Springs for a period of time and I moved back to Adelaide, which is my hometown, when I was 19 and I remember um, being on Hindley Street, which is, you know, the old stripper joints and stuff and, um, you know, a white supremacist on the corner and, you know, he was run out of town, but he ended up here in Melbourne as well, out of um, Footscray, but I haven't seen him since. So it's alive and well mm-hmm. and, um, and you know, it's disgusting. So, yeah. 
the idea that of, of race is just so misunderstood and there's so much miseducation around even what it is. Uh, people think there's a biological basis to it, that there's real racial mm. uh, differences between people and they use that to justify prejudices, thinking people are lower, less, less intelligent, etc. And, uh, yeah, what I'm interested in with racial literacy and, and as I get into why I think Ioanni's work is so powerful on many levels is how to have conversations that actually are rooted in in historical facts and then experiences what has the impact of these um, colonial ideas of race that are now taken as given and naturalised as some sort mm -hmm. of uh, truth when in fact they're complete inventions that um, keep a powerful hierarchy in place, you know, and, and how, you know, what forms... And what um, knowledges, artistic practices can counter these in the most, in ways that cut across uh, the whole socialisation of, if you've grown up in Australia, the kind of messages and the kind of images that just get absolutely, you know, um, flooded. And you see that around Invasion Day, mm. you know, you see the kind of ignorance and the violence. Um, I mean, the question of biological yeah. differences is so bizarre in a way, mm. that with eugenics and ideas like that yep. so discredited for so long, yes. um, there still seems to be this approach where race is seen in those hierarchical biological ways as well, Yeah, even and, today. And to understand that the birth of race historically was the birth of whiteness and white supremacy, mm. that happens at the same time because it is about creating um, racial categories. Mm. And so I love Ioani's work. Um, on so many levels, but it is the way that um, the way that you completely take on these these themes of classification of eugenics, and then just just completely explode them. Mm. Yeah, I gave a talk uh, probably uh, mid last year, and um, we were talking about um, acknowledging uh, you know Aboriginal people in the constitution and things like that, and um, but. Um, and there was sort of, we touched on, uh, you know, even just acknowledging, you know, certain areas of massacres and things like that, because that's what 1788 was like when the first fleet came, you know, they, you know, they tried to wipe us out. So, but what I've noticed though, in terms of, um, in my lifetime, things are moving, but they're moving very slowly. And I'm concerned that I won't see dramatic change in my lifetime. And I'm serious, like it's sort of, it's, it's um, scary. And I often think, and I do worry about how things are going to be for my nieces and my nephews and when they have kids and that too. Because when you think about it, even like just even with my re most recent sort of works in the last few years about Maralinga, you know, that was 60 odd years ago. And the, we're only talking about it now or you know it's always been sort of slowly like quietly discussed but it's only sort of been acknowledged properly but not even that you know for me going to art school was sort of something that I never really you know sort of I wanted to go to art school but I never thought it would take me as far as it has and I'm incredibly grateful for that and it's also given me quite a strong voice to talk about issues related to my people and myself but more so I think purely for me too it's about my family and um, I think, you know, learning how to blow glass was quite empowering for me too. So, because I, um, 
you know, if you would believe I was very shy when I started. I don't know what happened. I'm still quite shy sometimes, but I think somehow glass blowing has opened my mouth in a big way. I don't know. Yeah. I'm actually going to ask you about your time before Alice Springs, because if I'm right, you spent the first 10 years of your life in Woomera, Woomera. is that right? Which in Australia is such a loaded site. I mean, you have histories of nuclear fallout, yeah. you have a refugee mm. detention centre that was built yeah. there, and obviously you have issues around the treatment of First Nations peoples in that area as well. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, I was born in Woomera um, in 1973, and uh was there for a few years actually yeah so I don't really have a lot of memory and I did a, a research trip up there I have to think about it um not last year the year before and it's still uh a military base and you wouldn't think it, it is so um and you know there's 150 people that reside in that area and a lot of the buildings still exist. The hospital has been decommissioned. You see the detention centre, which no longer operates anymore. It's there, it's empty, but it's weird. And I think, you know, a lot of the planes that were used to drop bombs at Maralinga flew out from Woomera. So you see how remote it is and how harsh the landscape, or how harsh it is. But, um, but yeah, it's sort of, it is embedded quite heavily in, yeah, the treatment of, you know, people of colour, as I would call it. Mm. While, you know, I've taught in this area around race and whiteness and I've seen a change in the language and people's understanding in classrooms, but at the same time it feels very almost violent to talk about notions of progression and even the idea of something of, of progressive societies and moving forward in a, in a way towards some sort of a more mature nation or more civilised, um, you know, selfhood as a nation is really disingenuous with the crimes that are happening and the breaches of human rights that this, you know, as we sit here, you know, on so many levels, be it, you know, you know innocent people locked up mm. on islands that are not allowed to come here and then that being again rooted in those histories of, you know, Australia being created around the, the white Australia policy. So, mm-hmm. you know, and then when with, you know, as Yuwani was talking, I was thinking, yeah, you know, when I when I look at, um, you know, works of Yuwani's around the atomic bombs mm-hmm. and you walk in and the, the, you know, you've got the, the glass suspended from the, the, the cloud suspended from the ceiling that she's created, you know, through glass. And it's just on, on powerful on so many levels, working on so many levels, glass is sand. Yeah. And, you know, sand is earth as well. So you're looking at this cloud, but it's also the land as well in this combination of, of the medium of glass. When the bombs, the, the heat of the bomb scorched the land so that, scorched the sand so it actually turned to glass. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, it's still out yeah. there too. Yeah. If you visit Maralinga, it's still there. Um, and it just shows how, uh, I wouldn't even, no, I don't want to say that word powerful, but it's sort of it, the how, um, yeah, how, oh, yeah, I would say that, yeah, how it hit the ground and it was like um, that hot that it, you know, the iron in the in the sand and stuff turned to, 
lights turned to this green snotty glass and it was sheet of glass until they supposedly cleaned it up but they've still got little little shards, shards and they look like scabs but when you're out there it actually glitters in the sun it's wow. weird yeah I was about to ask you that like being there does it is yeah it, is it like you you're actually you have glass all around in the actual yeah, yeah. landscape and so you actually, that's where the title for the first atomic cloud that I created, Thunder Raining Poison, came to me. Yeah. Like I was like, you could tell because the circumference of the, the, the bomb itself, you could see the desecration of country and how the um, vegetation hasn't grown back. It's only, it's grown back slightly, but it'll never get any taller than what you see on the outskirts of that, that circle. And then you just get a sense, yeah, because it's sort of the poison in the, in the material that they used was, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you picked up on that idea about earth and country and glass and sand and how this all plays out because I think it's really interesting in your practice this approach to materiality mm. where, I mean, the one the mm. work you were speaking about, which mm. is the oh, several of them. Poison yes. is, yeah. I think, the one I'm thinking of, the, the really big. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. has glass forms within it that yeah. reference mm. the body Yeah, within this other form that mm. references a, a, an atomic plume, yeah. um, which is made of glass, which comes from Earth. Mm. So there's this yeah. really interesting materiality, but also um, contextual and conceptual process happening there as well. So yeah. Yeah. there's a visual poetry to your work that is quite beautiful, mm. but also a seductiveness because the surface of glass is, like you mm. say... You want to you touch know, it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's very inviting. It um, is, yeah. And so I think what happens for me when I see your work, Ioanni, is there's this real kind of tension that happens mm. between seeing something as, you know, yeah. beautiful and seductive and um, even awesome. Mm. Yeah. And then this moment where you realise, oh, hang on, this is yeah. what this is representing. Though. The, and it's sort of even now, like even the way works, certain works can be presented or what the topic is, that uh, particular fruits or foods are used um, to either represent bodily organs or with the yams a lot have been used to represent corpses or the dead. And um, and the the bush banana itself uh, has been used as a, you know, sort of a semi-alive but scarred body. And then, um, and recently uh, uh, I use, the bush plum has sort of um, come back into some of my works where they're on a larger scale and they're representing, you know, female wombs like the uterus and, and babies and sort of embryotic stages of, um, you know, uh, pregnancy as well. They seem for, to be, you know, the right forms to make, I think, and um, and I often say they, they seem to be an extension of myself because I'm creating them. I think those ones, I never for, I've never forgotten those images because it reminds me that there's this, as beautiful mm. as the glass is, such an element almost of horror, like yeah. this... You know, and, and that lively kind of, yeah. Mm. Um, like, yeah, bleeding. well, we, we, we were treated like insects, I think, or, you know, like it's sort of like other than human, mm. and you know, it's sort of, yeah, um, and that idea of containment because they've removed everyone from their homelands and stuff and put them in what I actually don't even like to call Christian missions anymore, I call them concentration camps because a lot of people died there through sickness, lost their language, weren't allowed to, uh, you know, practise their culture and that too. I'm interested to hear, given it's been a large part of your practice, um, mm. your 
kind of thoughts around the historical and ongoing effects of the stolen generations. And mm. I say that plural deliberately because obviously mm. it's still yeah, happening. Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's, you know, well, I guess I could just sort of talk sort of openly because it's my family and I know my mum will want to probably talk, let me, allow me to do it anyway. But she just got um, compensation for her treatment as a child in a, in a children's home. She wanted, well, I guess her her um, experience to be sort of acknowledged, I think, because they were hardcore. And it's something that, you know, this sort of um, trauma doesn't, my family don't really necessarily talk about it. Mum is now so now that she's getting older and you have to probe her for it too. But it's something that, um, yeah, that, you know, these homes where stolen generation children were taken were, you know, they were treated horrifically. And it's, you know, as I call it, the dark, Australia's dark history. And if you ever, you know, you could drive past a mission or a turn off to a mission without even realising it because the government at that time were quite strategic in terms of where they placed these camps. And so they were in remote areas, so if people could make a run for it, they would possibly die. Yeah, as you mentioned before, refugee detention centres in Australia as well. Yeah, well, you look mm. at Woomera, like, yeah, yeah. And, you know, like at that, you know, the it was just placed there, I think, because Woomera at that time was available to house staff members and security. So just the thinking about the impacts of, um, of stealing children and what that's done on generationally and now the the idea of having to be interrogated and questioned about identity and that that's somehow seen as appropriate appropriate mm. you know um, and then confronting that in in, in those works um, yeah mm. I'll, I'll tell you this little story I was um, at a dinner this time last year and maybe a little bit later and um, and we were um, seated, myself and another Aboriginal artist were seated with um, uh, a couple of people and one of them was, he was sitting next to me. Yep. But he couldn't understand how I was calling myself Aboriginal because I had fair skin and blue eyes. And then when my friend across the table said, well, I am as well, and he goes, not you too. Mm, it's outrageous. Um, and it's now. Yeah, I know. Because I, what I've been saying to people nowadays, I think, um, who you, I come across, you know, that say that sort of stuff to me and um, or even just, um, yeah, uh, question my identity and, you know, where I come from. It's like, well, as far as I'm concerned, it's none of their business. I know where I come from. I know who I am. I've got a strong relationship with my family and they don't know how often I go back and forth to where my my mob are from. That's it. But yeah. also the assumption that it has to happen as well. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the, this history of, I mean, we're talking about the stolen generations at the moment, this history mm. means that those connections for some have been broken as well. And yeah. that doesn't mean that they lack indigeneity. Do you know? This no. is... Yeah. I'm thinking of, like, uh, the works you where you have... Um, literal test tubes and you also have a very scientific lab around... Um, 
and, and where you have them in clamps, you have your yams yeah, in clamps yeah. and the glasses held and strangled, that there's, you know, confronting the eugenics history and how that mm. is still not confronted, still not known very much about how Melbourne was the centre for eugenics mm. um, and the role uh, that race science played here. So there's so much projection. You mentioned Germany. I think, yes, there's so much projection on this idea of... Um, scientific racism and, and what happened with Nazi thinking about mm. race, but it was so global and it was so widespread and it was actually very popular here. It had a huge yeah. impact on the treatment of um, marginalised people, mm. people of colour, Indigenous peoples. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's you know, how to convey, you know, how you capture that in in these almost elegant and delicate and fragile they're about to break but it's so strong because i think too when you think you know um with the stolen generation the whole purpose was to breed out you know Mm. aboriginality in Mm. you know they thought oh well they could be successful in doing that and it just shows the resilience of us Mm. as a people you know as people stan grant actually said that uh Society or Australians, you know, often underestimate the patience of our our people and the resilience as well. And I love that term because, you know, yeah, we're pretty tough, I think. Mm. We've had to put up with a lot of crap. Mm. You know, it's it's popular to talk about the archive and uh, archival interventions and how artists are working with the archive and this idea of alternative histories. But... I think that needs, you know, that needs to be questioned and mm-hmm. that's when that's why I love your expansion and this idea of how you work with the archives because it's not just an alternative history. It's actually really transformative of mm-hmm. what even uh, activism looks like in the archives. Mm-hmm. And I love the way you literally have used suitcases and boxes and literally archival boxes mm-hmm. and cabinets. Like mm-hmm. cabinets. Jars. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is sort of there's this, this is the, you know, the um, containment yeah. you know, devices. and For a yeah. future archive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Make sure they're protected. That's it. Yeah. But also referencing the oppressiveness of those past. Post- yeah. Kind of because they've got that sort of um, historical... Mm. feel to well, there's a museum feel to them between mm, yeah. the idea of kind of protection and preservation yeah. and then ideas of containment and restriction playing out there as well because mm, mm. that's what we've been fighting for for so long is like um for it to be yeah taught in the schools because you know captain cook wasn't all he was cracked up to be so it's sort of that needs to be acknowledged as well and he was not the founder we were here. We always were here. There's been a few times where people have said to me uh, in, during question time after an artist talking that too, that, um, you know, when are you going to start making work that's about more of a positive thing than a negative? I'm like, well, I don't see this as being negative. I see it, see it as being the truth. Working art is is an ideal way to get uh, the uninitiated thinking about issues. There have been instances where international visitors have really responded. I 
included Ioani in a PowerPoint um, looking at Indigenous women's art practice at the Musée de Cabronly in Paris. And the French audience were were chilled and fascinated and overwhelmed by what they were seeing. Um, the examples of, of Ioani's work. My name is Judith Ryan. I'm the Senior Curator of Indigenous Art here at the National Gallery of Victoria, where I've worked for over 40 years. As a curator, I'm interested in art that communicates through its aesthetic. The medium is the message, in a way. So um, for work to be both beautiful and powerful, if it's beautiful, people will look at it. And the power comes out by coming to terms with what it means, what it represents. And that that is not something that is... I mean, Yuani is not... It's not sort of simplistic or sloganistic. What happens is that people stand in front of Blood on the Wattle. They see the burial mound. They see also, I think, in the yam, the black yam glass objects, they see something beautiful that looks organic and in the sense of what has occurred there at this particular place, they sense the travesty and respond to the outrage. Um, it isn't shoved into your face and that's why I feel that it does work well because um, the curators, we, we want works that draw the viewer in and get them to engage with the work. And she's thinking about universal issues affecting First Peoples um, and, I, and, and also minorities and um, she's thinking of, about a lot of issues, gender, race, um, hegemony, eugenics. I mean, she's thinking of all of the issues that we that oppress us and compel us to think beyond what, what, what is happening. Fieldwork is produced by Shannon Goodwin and me, Drew Pettifer, and supported by Bus Projects. Audio production, editing and mixing by Beck Fari. Our theme music is by Martin King. Lachlan Sue is our graphic designer. Our intern is Jake Davies. Special thanks to Ioanni Scarce, Odette Collada, and Judith Ryan for your time. That's it for this episode of Fieldwork. For past episodes and information on how to subscribe, head to fieldworkpodcast.com.au. In our next episode, we'll hear from Eugenia Lim on intersectional feminism. Hopefully we're getting better at this idea that feminism is something that is about equality for everyone. It's not, you know, better rights or conditions just for the privileged few. That's next time on Fieldwork.